If you're visiting this morning, I want to especially welcome you. My name's Jose. I have the honor of serving as the lead pastor here, and uh, we, Cypress Creek Church, are a group of imperfect people, and we're all on a journey to follow the only perfect one, the Lord Jesus Christ. So I'm glad that you are here. Wherever you are on your spiritual journey, we are looking at the Gospel of Luke as to how God chose to dwell with man, the perfect God, the Creator, chose to dwell with imperfect people in this series called God with us. We have uh, looked at this verse from Matthew chapter 1, verse 23, the angel Gabriel, he's actually speaking to Joseph, so we haven't covered this yet. This is a little preview, but he says, behold, Matthew 1, 23, I believe it is, behold, just like that, behold. I'll read it. I don't have it memorized. Here we go. The virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. If we can just sit and rem- like, like just ruminate on God being with us, the gravity of that, the beauty of that, that he is here, dwelled among us us, then I think I wouldn't have to say much. (laughs) But unfortunately, I'm going to have to say some things because that's what God's called us to do here in this place. I just wonder what that means for you and your family this morning, this season, because for all the good that is happening, I also know that there's a lot of hard that is taking place. A lot of hard, uh, maybe tense relationships that we have with close family members or those around us. Maybe hard circumstances in the workplace or perhaps this Christmas season is the first one that you will go without a relative around the table. See, God came with us so that he could do the hard with us, so that he can show us that there is hope out there. Uh, when, when, when we pass from this life, there is everlasting life. There is hope because of the coming of Jesus Christ. And so we have focused on perhaps insignificant details in the Christmas story that we tend to overlook that are incredibly significant to God and for us to understand the character of God. We looked at Zechariah two weeks ago. Zechariah failed. (laughs) Zechariah missed the mark. And today is Zechariah's redemption day. All right, so we kind of hit Zechariah hard two weeks ago, and today we'll read the narrative that redeems Zechariah, who is John the Baptist's dad. Before we get to him, though, we looked at Mary last week, and we contrasted Mary, this peasant woman, with Zechariah, this priest. Mary being spoken to in this rural town of Nazareth compared to Zechariah being spoken to in in the temple, in the holiest of holy, in the capital city of Jerusalem. And Mary did a wonderful job talking about us, about our location and our position does not dictate uh, the way that God wants to use us. He wants to use all of us. He wants all of us to be in the game and respond 
to him. And so this morning, we will again look at Zechariah's story and how God redeems him. We're in Luke chapter one, three weeks now in one chapter. That's because this is the longest chapter in the New Testament, at least in terms of verses. There's 80, 80 verses. Not a good one if you want to memorize a chapter of the Bible, okay? So you probably want to choose another chapter, 80 verses. And today we're going to go 57 through 80. I'll read them quickly. And then afterwards, we'll take away three significant details from the story as to how uh, God has decided to dwell with us. I'm so glad that we're here this morning to open up God's word. Pray with me before we do so. Lord, we're so grateful that you have given us your word to shine a light in our hearts, to expose things that we are unaware of. God, allow us to have ears to hear what you are speaking to us. And uh, Father, I pray a blessing over every home, household here represented today. I ask that you would speak through me, God, to every circumstance in the room. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So we're in Luke chapter 1 verse 57. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, that's John the Baptist, she gave birth to a son. Remember, at this point, Zechariah is deaf, probably mute as well. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared her joy. There's nothing like celebrating newborn babies. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child. So this was an, uh, something that was very common in the Israelite tradition. Genesis 17 speaks to circumcision on the eighth day, and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. They probably being priests and those who were performing the circumcision, proclaiming his name is, and, and they were going to say Zechariah. But his mother spoke up and said, no, he is to be called John. And they said to her, there is no one among your relatives who has that name. So in context, it was very common again for a son to be named after his father or grandfather and great grandfather. We will talk about that in a second. Then they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. They didn't believe Elizabeth. Not good. At 63, he asked for a writing tablet. And no, students, this isn't an iPad or a Kindle. This is probably a piece of wood with wax on it. And so he put John on there. And to everyone's astonishment, he wrote his name is John. Low tech, low tech back then. Uh, immediately, his mouth was open and his tongue set free. And he began to speak, praising God, 13 times. We're not going to get into all 13 times in the Gospel of Luke. The people respond to a miracle of God with giving praise to God. All the neighbors were filled with awe, and throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all these things. Good news travels fast, right? This is good news. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, what then is this child going to be? Again, this child is John the Baptist, for the Lord's hand was with him. His father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. 
Last week, we looked at Mary's Magnificat. This week, we're going to look at Zechariah's. It's, it's called the Benedictus. It's a Latin word for praise be. And here is what he says. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant, David. And he said through his holy prophets long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. He is giving praise to God. A lot of enemies, right? Many, many people thought that the Messiah would come as a political, as a political, uh, in political triumph to save the Israelites from the hand and the grip of Rome. Thought I lost my notes there. Nope. Here we go. Uh, but he is now going to turn his attention to his son. He's going to prophesy about his son. And you, my child, verse 76, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven and to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the path of peace and the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he lived in the wilderness until he appeared publicly to Israel. It's the word of the, word of the Lord, beginning of the gospel of Luke, before Jesus comes unto the scene. The only time we've seen Jesus so far is in prophecy like this and also in the womb when, remember, John the Baptist leaps. He's the first worshiper of God when he leaps in the womb and he's in the presence of Mary who's carrying our Savior, Jesus Christ. Awesome stuff, setting it up. We're talking about it because this morning, what struck to me is that this story is incredibly personal. It speaks to how personal God is. Think about it. We are inaugurating the Savior of the world, and instead of coming to royalty and those in authority, he is presenting himself as a dependent newborn to guys like Zachariah, through his part, his son John the Baptist, who will point to Jesus, who has failed God already. And this gives me hope. Because God chooses to use imperfect people for his perfect purposes. That's how he works. And it's a mystery. And it's beautiful. And it's, courage, it's encouraging. And I hope that these three takeaways are encouraging to you as well. Three things that this teaches us about God with us. Here's the first. God with us despite our failures. So remember, Zechariah is in the temple, in the holiest of holy. And angel Gabriel came to him and said, hey, uh, uh, you're going to have a son. And he said, no, nope, too old. My wife's too old, too. He doubted God. You talk about a failure. Moving forward, Peter kind of did the same thing later on, right? He denied Jesus three times. And what does God do? He uses Peter to establish the church. He, he uses Zechariah to parent the one that is to point to Jesus Christ, despite our failures, God is with 
us. I don't know if in this season you feel like you're just too far gone. Like you have failed one too many times. Like there's no way that there is a way back to God because of how far you have gone. The good news of God with us is that he came especially for you and for me. I'd like to think that Zechariah was the first prodigal son. I'd like to think that the priest who, who failed, who was muted, became the first one to come back to God. And what did he do? He opened his mouth again. He started saying yes to God's promises. His name will be John. See, sometimes we allow our failures to block us from God's grace. And we need to remember a couple of things. Here's one. Psalm 103, 12 says that God has removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. It doesn't get any further apart. There, there, there is no way that we can outrun the grace of God. What we can do is reject it. But as long as we are pursuing God, he is like the father and the prodigal son story. He's just waiting for us to come back to him. What, is that, what, what does that look like for us? to come back to the Father. In Hebrews 10, we talked about this in, in Men's Encounter, and I, I've been ruminating on it since. For by one sacrifice, he, Jesus, has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. The Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. First, he says, this is my covenant I will make with them after that time, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts. I will write them on their minds. And then he adds their sins and lawless acts. I will remember no more. See, we need to remember that Jesus doesn't see our failures because he already wiped the slate clean. And so why do we hold on to our Failures. Why do we hold on to our shortcomings? We need to see and filter our failures through the cross of Jesus that made God with us possible. It's like if we were the water and, and, and we poured it without any coffee grounds. Is, is that coffee? No. A clear filter, what happens? It, it's just water. It's diluted. If, if, if we filter it through coffee grounds, we, we get coffee, okay? So Jesus is the coffee. <laughs> we, we need to see ourselves through his filter because he doesn't see our failures. So what do we do? We do what Philippians 3 says. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken a hold of it. What is a hold of it? We're going to see this in the next point. It's seeing ourselves the way that God does. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straying toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. So here's the question that I want to ask on this first point. What failure are you ready to move forward? Is there something that you're holding on to? Is there something that's marking? Because the issue is, is the more that we see ourselves by our failures, we stop seeing ourselves in the way that God sees us. Zechariah chose to pursue God and, and, and then through that, name his son, what God told him he should name him. And that speaks to our identity, our identity. God with us gave us a new identity. 
The world said he should be called after your dad, Zechariah. And what did mom and dad say? No, 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 no. He's, he's, got, he, he's got another track for his life. His name is to be John, which, by the way, means God is gracious. How cool that the one that came to prepare the way for God means that God is gracious. Uh, my name is Jose Gabriel Lavaro Estavillo. I got a lot of them. And my first story, Jose Gabriel. Jose is after my great-grandpa, my bisabuelo. And then uh, Gabriel is my grandpa. So I'm one of those that's name is just to please the relatives. Anybody else out there that, that's got those? Maybe one or two? Hey, there we are. See, Catholic, I'm telling you, those Catholic family traditions, you know? So Jose Gabriel. And uh, growing up, though, I, I wasn't known by that identity. I was actually given a nickname. A lot of us have those nicknames. My nickname, a lot of you guys know, is was Pepe. And here's the story of Pepe, briefly. Uh, Pepe is the nicknames for Jose in Spanish because in the Catholic deal, uh, Joseph, who was the earthly father of Jesus, his acronym, to, like his title was Earthly Father Joseph, right? Because Heavenly Father was, was God. And so it'd be like E.F. Joseph. Well, in Spanish, it's Padre Puntativo Jose. Pepe, P.P. Jose, get it? Yeah, there you go. So Pepe. You saw what I said? Okay. So I, I, everybody that loved me called me Pepe. At school, everybody called me Pepe until I moved to Miami at the age of six from Mexico City, and I started going to school. And they said, what's your name? And I said, Pepe. And they said, oh, okay, Pepe. And I said, it's Jose. It's Jose. For, forget, forget that other name. So from then on, only my parents and cousins and, you know, Real close friends called me Pepe. Uh, this is a disclaimer. Feel free to call me Pepe if you so desire. Okay, I'm totally cool with it. My uh, junior year of college, I went to study abroad. I'm, I'm getting there. There's a whole point to this story. Uh, I, I spent a, a, some, a year in the Netherlands, and I would meet people in English, and I would meet people speaking in Spanish. And, and so it, it came, you know, there was an issue. And the issue was people were asking, like, what is your name? You say Jose, you say Pepe. What is it? And, and I chose Pepe, and I didn't really recognize this at the time, but as I've processed that very important decision, I've realized that it was an endearing name. And when I heard it, it made me feel good because those that knew me from early childhood, that was the name that they called me. See, my identity in that name was special. It, it made me feel loved, known, and seen. What happens when we name ourselves after our failures is we don't call what we don't call ourselves what God calls us our identity is misplaced so we need to know who God says that we are for Zechariah and John the Baptist it was it was John it was John God is gracious i have 16 16 things from scriptures that teach us who God says that we are. And my hope is that you can take one or maybe two. Take those to heart this Christmas season. Own them because they've already been bought for you. Let's go through them. A child of God. God says you're a child of God, a son and daughter of the Lord Most High. We are chosen and adopted. He chose us and brought us into his family, totally forgiven, justified and not guilty no matter what we've done, holy and blameless, free from slavery of sin, fully accepted by God, God's masterpiece or 
workmanship. We are complete in Christ, a new creation, a friend of Jesus, the temple of the Holy Spirit, the light of the world, a citizen of heaven, more than a conqueror and an ambassador for Christ. That's who God says that we are if we are in Christ. The filter is Jesus. We can't be these things outside of Jesus because there's no way, there's nothing that we can do to measure up to any of this. That's the power of God with us. He's given us a new identity. Names matter and these matter most. So a question for us. What name do I need to claim in this season? Uh, um, are, are we identifying ourselves because of our failures or even because of our family or our accolades or our successes? Or are we identifying ourselves by those verses, which by the way, are on the ccc.guide. You can access all those slides, take a screenshot, send it to somebody, because the cool thing is that Zechariah telling John the Baptist, moms and dads, it's our job to teach our kids who God says that they are by reminding them and by showing them and by believing ourselves that that's who God says that we are. A couple of verses from Colossians that support this. Colossians chapter 3, do not lie to each other. Paul's speaking to behavior, and he's saying, don't lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. So he's speaking to the difference between the old self and the new self, the old identity and the new identity. Here in the new identity, there is no Gentile or Jew, so, so there's no ethnic, all ethnicities, all nationalities are welcome, Circumcised or uncircumcised, there's no uh, religious, different religious upbringing, this denomination, that denomination, you believe in this, open hand, there is no religious affiliation, Scythian is slave or free, barbarian, there's no socioeconomic classes, all of those are torn down, but Christ is all and is in all, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, now we're talking about behaviors, clothed, if, if we believe that that is who we are, that's our Identity, then clothe ourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And we got one more slide. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. That's what it looks like. That's what life looks like. That's what our behavior looks like when our identity is in Christ. Again, going to the first one, God with us despite our failures. He came to us while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. And, and then God with us gave us a new identity. And so how does Zechariah respond? He responds with the Benedictus, with praise. God with us, so he is worthy to be praised. What are you praising for right now. Hopefully there's a few things that come up. And if you're like, Jose, life right now is pretty hard. I don't have much to praise God for. 
then uh, let's, let's keep reading because I hope that you can walk out with some things to praise God for. Here's what Psalm 103 says. Let all that I am praise the Lord. All that I am praise the Lord. With my whole heart, I will praise his holy name. Let all that I am praise the Lord. May I never forget the good things he does for me. He forgives all my sins and heals all my diseases. He redeems me from death and crowns me with love and tender mercies. He fills my life with good things. My youth is renewed like the eagles. If, if there's nothing right now in life that makes you praise God, then praise God for God with us, for Emmanuel, for the forgiveness of our sins. Y'all, that is enough for us to praise him for. He came. While we were still sinners, he came. And a year normally means that we start thinking about New Year's resolutions. What I want to challenge us and close with is instead, let's talk about end-of-year summations. Let's summarize 2022. Let's ask a couple of questions that help us praise. And here are two. Looking back, what did God bring you in 2022? Look back to January, look at those old photos, scroll through, look at the good, maybe look at the hard, how, how God gave you peace through that. And if, again, you don't have anything, it's not too late. We can start letting those things go this morning. We can start by saying, God, I, I need you. I need to run back to you. I, I need to receive the forgiveness and, and confess my sins and, and bring these things to the light. Looking back, now looking ahead, what are you hoping for in 2020? For those of us that aren't planners, I'm, I'm giving you a leg up. I'm giving you about 20 days before you start to, you know, bring up these New Year's resolutions. But I wonder how powerful it would be to take this personally between you and, and the Lord and, and then also start hoping for awesome things. If it's written in here, if it's according to the will of God, then it's going to be a yes and amen every time. Maybe not in our timing, God is good. Good doesn't always look the way that I want good to look like, but it's good nonetheless. Let's start hoping and let's start dreaming. He is worthy to be praised. He's given us a new identity and God with us despite our failures. This season is awesome. And yet there are so many things that can distract us from the major thing that God with us. One of the things that I love about this is it's the story of the underdog. Zechariah is an underdog. He didn't do well when he was in the game, and, and then he failed pretty miserably taken out of the game. But that didn't stop him from getting back in the game, and he persevered. Look, Wembley Texans are going to state finals. You're the underdog, right? Underdog? Are you going to let that define how you play? Nope. You're going to go out there believing in each other, which I've loved seeing the, 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 the news and, and the way that they've interviewed these guys. They have faith in each other. Here in our spiritual battle on the spiritual playing field, we have faith in the God who came to dwell among imperfect people. And when we have that type of faith, even when the odds are stacked against us, we can persevere because nothing is impossible with God. Let's take it personal. And if you're able, stand as we close in prayer. Father, we're thankful for stories 
like these that speak to us thousands of years after they've been told. We're, we're thankful, God, that you came to dwell and, and make your tabernacle and, 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 and be here with us. We're so grateful for your presence. We don't take it for, we don't take you for granted. God, I'm so grateful for this gathering. I pray, Lord, that as we close, that we would continue to seek after you. Lord, if we need prayer for anything personally, thank you, um, God, that we can be prayed over in this place. Thank you, God, that if we feel far away from you, all we have to do is acknowledge that you are right here waiting for our return. There's nothing that can separate us from your love, nothing that we've done, nothing anyone else has done. Jesus, you came to bear it all. You made a way. And Lord, if there's anyone that has yet to say yes to you, Jesus, thank you that all that you are looking for is yes. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and, and certain of what we cannot see. You, you want us to say yes in faith to you is our Savior, is the one that rescued us from the consequences of our sin. And yes to you as our Lord, the one who is master.